Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. Everybody's talking about coronavirus, COVID-19, how long is it going to last, what's the response been like, and all of that. You pointed out to me, geez, when this first started, you told me, Robert, the Government Accountability Office has been all over this, has been paying attention to this from the very beginning, and very pleased to talk to one of the big guns at GAO about doing this. Uh, Chris Curry is the Director of Emergency Management Issues at GAO. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. What prompted you to look at this issue at GAO originally to do the research that you've been doing, and how long has this been on GAO's radar screen that some pandemic could happen that would present a problem for the government and for the United States? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, sure. No, it's, it's a fantastic question. So I'd say we really got serious about looking at this around 2009, 2010, after the swine flu, H1N1 pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that was the last pandemic we had. I think almost 90 million people in the U.S. got the swine flu. Of course, it um, you know it's a little bit different because it's influenza, and humans have a sort of a natural immunity to flu, so it's not quite as scary as what's going on now with coronavirus. But you know what we saw in that is um, you know some of the concerns we're seeing today, and what we've always been worried about is not just the medical impacts of something like this, but as we're seeing now, the societal and economic impacts of the fear that comes from something like this occurring. And so, you know, one thing we've always been worried about is that this is fragmented across the whole federal government. You know, you have the Health and Human Services Department that is responsible traditionally for public health emergencies. Um, And then, but, you know, you have many, many other departments, as we're seeing now, that have to get involved when it rises to this level. So back in 2011 was the first time we called for a, a national federal strategy for biodefense. And there had been attempts through the years um, to try to do something like this and uh, never really happened until about uh, two years ago when the White House finally issued a national strategy. And we actually just issued our report looking at that strategy coincidentally a couple weeks ago. That's pretty wild. I mean, one of the podcast's favorite documents is the GAO Strategic plan and if you read some of the language from the document it's a little chilling so in 2011 GAO wrote a catastrophic biological event such as a naturally occurring pandemic could cause mass casualties weaken the economy damage public morale and threaten national security so uh, it's been what what we're seeing today has been predicted we spent a lot of time and effort planning for this. You issued a report a couple of weeks ago, though you've been working on it for probably more than a year, if, if I'm not mistaken. Have we taken to heart your warnings, and are you seeing the benefits of all of the work and planning that's gone into preparing for this? Well, what we... so. What we said a couple weeks ago in our report is that the biodefense strategy that the White House issued in 2018 was about the best effort we'd seen 
over the last decade or two to try to coordinate this across the federal government. I think the challenge is that strategy is still so new, and uh, a lot of the coordination mechanisms that were used to develop it have been really helpful, but um, it was just a start, and you're seeing it play out now, is that when you have so many agencies responsible for a big issue like biodefense, you know, each has their own budgets, their own programs, their own priorities, their own committees of jurisdiction in Congress. You know, they can't tell each other what to do. They can't tell each other how to set priorities. And so it becomes really difficult to look across the entire government and say, where are our gaps and how do we address them? You know? And so that's been one of our major concerns. So the strategy did a really good job of starting that process, but we're still so early in it. And this this pandemic sort of caught us at the very early stages of that planning. And, you know, of course, here we are. What the strategy is not, though, it's not a response plan. So, and, you know, the time to develop a response plan is not right in the middle of a response. So um, <laughs> <Right>. it's <laughs> this, this is a huge challenge. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, those are the... Those are the biggest things we were concerned about, but I have to say it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not hard to envision this happening, and that's what I think what we were saying back in 2011, because, you know, it's, it, a pandemic is such an unknown. We don't know how many cases there are going to be. We don't know how many people are going to die, how many are going to get sick. Um, but I tell you, it's also a real challenge because this is one of those uh, what we call extremely high-consequence, low-likelihood events. Um, sort of a black swan event. And because it hasn't happened in people's lifetime, human nature dictates that they, they just don't believe it can happen, which it makes it really, really difficult to plan and dedicate real money to planning when you're dealing with everyday threats like cyber attacks and natural disasters and things like that. What's next? What should people inside the government be looking at as an add-on to the strategy, Chris, and who should be doing that? Who are the right people to be handling this at this point in time? Understanding that it might not apply to this particular response because we're right in the middle of it, but being prepared for the next one, who should be doing what? Well, that's a, that is a great question. So what, what's going to happen next is a lot because like watershed <laughs> moments like this, like 9-11 or like the Hurricane Katrina in 2005, for example, uh, unfortunately, these real-life events get everybody's attention, and everyone starts focusing on how do we start managing and preparing for these types of events better. So, for example, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, something similar happened. We, at the federal level, we did not have sort of set laws and policies around who is in charge in a response, um, who can tell each other what to do, um, what monies do we use. I mean. All of that was not very well defined, and there was comprehensive reform that came after that to fix a lot of those problems. And so I think what's going to happen next is Congress and the rest of the federal government are going to look across this this area and say, well, you know, clearly what we've been doing to prepare for this, a public health emergency and a pandemic, has not been enough, and we need to start, you know, doing a better job of planning it. So I think there's, you know, I think there's going to be a, a top-to-bottom sort of review looking at the whole structure around planning and investing in public health preparedness. You know, this will be hard to predict, but right after 9-11, the focus was on creating the Transportation Security Agency. So mm -hmm. we were focused like a laser beam on 
protecting this very, very narrow slice of our society, which is uh, preventing dangerous objects from getting on airplanes. When, of course, the the protections the, the need to be much broader. Where do you see this landing? A narrow slice on coronavirus, or do you really think the enterprise will take to heart the really broad uh, coordination that needs to go on in, in response to something like this? Well, I, I think what we've seen in the recent years, and it's not like there haven't been scares, right? I mean, we had, um, after H1N1, we had um, SARS and MERS and uh, Zika and Ebola, but, you know, those were pretty much offshore threats, I, w- I would call them things that were really scary that we were worried were going to come here in the U.S. And, uh, and, and in some cases, like Ebola and, um, you know, Zika, they did, but just only on a really limited scale or only on a, for a really small amount of time. So, um, you know, nothing like this where it's impacted us domestically so much. So, you know, I, I think every single aspect of, uh, of, of our lives is going to be looked at in response to this. For example, you know, surveillance is a huge piece of this. Like when I say surveillance in the bio context, I mean monitoring both overseas and domestically uh, new and novel diseases and then taking actions quickly to try to mitigate them or address them. I think one of the things this shows us, and, and this is something I think we and others have, have always predicted, is that in our global world, these types of things are almost uncontrollable for getting into your borders. But I think this is going to raise a lot of awareness about what are we and other countries doing to surveil for these new diseases and then taking very, very quick action to address them once they're identified. Um, so, and, and I think this one certainly caught us off guard, but the scenario for people in public health and that work in this area, this scenario is, is not outlandish at all. I mean, we might feel like we're in some type of science fiction movie, but this, this scenario is not totally outside the realm of possibility, and it's, it, now it's happened. Chris, we just have a couple of minutes left, but as you were describing what you expect to see happen, and Robert reminded us about what happened after 9-11, it strikes me that potentially we could see, in a response from Congress, kind of a proactive or maybe strategic look at response to a pandemic or we could see maybe a prescriptive or reactive reaction or some combination of both. What would make, do you think, for the effective elements of a strategic or proactive response, not just in a strategy like the White House laid out, but that really has the meat of legislation and money behind it? Yeah. Well, that's that's a great question because, I mean, it's, it's hard to – I mean, we live in a world with so many threats, you know, and, and so many risks, and it's really hard to predict and know where your focus needs to be. I mean, but one of the things – I've been working on Homeland Security issues since 9-11, and one of the things I've noticed is, is that just about the time we think we could handle on one thing, um, something new pops up, you know, at, at – Post 9-11, uh, you know, Hurricane Katrina caught us off guard and reminded us, no, we need to be worried about natural disasters, too. You think about cyber attacks, and now, we're, you know, we're worried about cyberspace, and, and now it's, it's pandemics. I, I think one of the things, and this is something we've said a lot over the years, is the federal government in blue sky days, when, it, when there's not a disaster or not something like this happening, provides a tremendous amount of funding and resources to local governments for preparedness, to build their capabilities. All of these capabilities, whether it's cyber, whether it's public health, 
whether it's you know uh, preparedness for counterterrorism. These are all things we've been investing in over the years. Some more than others. They tend to go up and down depending on the flavor of the week and what's going on. But I think what this shows us is that we have to continue to invest in places where we have known gaps. And there are plenty of studies and 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 uh, you know exercises that have been done, which are now being made public, and the dust is being blown off of them that show that we've had tremendous public health capability gaps for years. Luckily, you know, until now, we just hadn't had to deal with something this serious. But I think what's, you know, what's happening now is those are being exposed. We just have a minute or so left. You mentioned um, overlap, fragmentation, duplication, three of GAO's favorite words. Where are the ripe areas in the work that you've done to reduce those three things and wind up delivering more effective services to citizens? Yeah, well, that's really the report we issued a couple of weeks ago looking at the strategy because, as I mentioned before, we, our, one of our concerns is this effort, biodefense, is so fragmented across the government and fragmented in some cases with little coordination. And I think you're, you're seeing a little bit of it now. Um, you know, at first, HHS and CDC had the lead. Now Homeland Security and FEMA have been brought into, into the works. So there, there's a lot of different preparedness activities but they're all scattered across different departments, and they're not often integrated. So, you know, when something like this happens, we're having to kind of shoehorn in different agencies, um, you know, to fit into this response. And, you know, I think what this shows is that, um, you know, we're going to have to think about this as a whole government approach and develop the plan, you know, for the next time this happens, too. Chris, thanks for your service. This is this is. The work you've done is fantastic, at least for laying the foundation for reforms of the future. Just one last question. How are you holding up? How's life in this new reality? Well, it's interesting. We're lucky at GAO. We have, um, you know, uh, we have a very, uh, an agency that's been very supportive of virtual work for years. We have invested in our IT systems for years to be able to work remotely. So, We've actually adapted operationally to the work environment pretty well. Of course, you know, we, like every, every other organization, are very concerned about our people and our employees. And, you know, we have people that are managing uh, the families and have kids at home that are out of school and, you know, have aging parents. And so our employees are very concerned. So, you know, our first priority right now is, is our people and making sure uh, they're taken care of and they have the flexibilities they need. And then, of course, you know, now, like everyone else, still, you know, kind of trying to figure out in this new normal, um, how do we do our work? Um, you know, a lot of the agencies we work with are uh, extremely overwhelmed with the response to this for now. Um, but so far, you know, the cooperation from agencies has been really good. So, um, you know, I think uh, we're, we're trying to get by just like everybody else. Chris, thanks very much for coming on to talk about this. It couldn't be more timely, and GAO's work's always terrific, and we're glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.